Welcome to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. With an incredible lineup of speakers, you'll dive deep into the relationship between social enterprise and faith. You'll learn about the economic impact of churches and how to pitch your community of faith to form new partnerships. Hopeful Economics is a way of looking at the world of assets in abundance and making them work for everyone. This content originated from the Hopeful Economics Unconference, a virtual event in March of 2021. Mark your calendars for March 3rd and 4th of 2022 to participate in the next Hopeful Economic Unconference. No one should miss this engaging conversation. We are going to have a, a really important experience. Uh, we're calling the fishbowl experience. And basically the gist of it is that you will have an opportunity to listen in on a conversation that is happening among a group of church leaders. I really want you to pay attention to what's being said because after they, um, after we watch in on their conversation, I know there's been times you say, man, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to that conversation. I wish I could have been in that boardroom. Actually, nobody secretly wants to go to the boardroom. If you have ever wanted to just know what they were talking about as they were developing certain things or get into the mind of some of the leaders, hey, this is the opportunity that you've been waiting for is happening for you here in a few moments. Greetings, everybody. Uh, welcome to this Hopeful Economics Unconference. Uh, we're really excited to be here. Um, this, this, we've got a few of us on here. Uh, so I'll introduce myself and have my co-speakers introduce themselves. Um, I'm the Reverend Piwa Langeni. Uh, I am the ambassador for innovation and engagement for the United Church of Christ. Um, and I am currently in the Atlanta, Georgia area in the US. So Rob Dalgleish, I'm the executive director of the Edge Network. Uh, it's uh, kind of the innovation initiative of the United Church of Canada. And uh, I'm speaking to you from the North Shore of Lake Ontario this morning in Burlington. Hello everyone, my name is Dallas Fiddler. I am from the Water and Lake First Nation in Saskatchewan, and I am the Healing Programs Coordinator here at the United Church. Um, however, I'm living here in Mississauga. So um, yeah, just want to welcome everyone to uh, this conference. I hope you enjoy our content. So um, we were invited to kind of reflect on, um, you know, this question. Uh, what do you think about when you hear hopeful economics? Um, so I figured I'd kind of kick us off and uh, uh, we'll see where we end up. Um, so I'm totally unscripted. I uh, purposefully decided to, um, you know, in the spirit of this unconference, I didn't want to prepare all my words, right? So I wanted to kind of go off the cuff here. Um, I'm actually super intrigued when I was invited to this, you know, the, the words hopeful and economics don't often go together, at least in my experience, I've never seen those two together side by side. Um, but part of my excitement, right, is, is you know, even just like the, the delicious combination of these words that don't usually go together, um, all the possibilities that also accompany, you know, these words hopeful and economics, you know, when we hear the word economics, usually it's like in a business context, you know, it's very like, you know, 
one thing goes up, the other must go down and keeping like formulas in balance, right? But, um, and we don't often hear the word hopeful in that context um, where hope, right? Tends to be a lot less uh, structured. It's not rigid. It's not like in a, on a balance sheet. And so um, I would love to see what happens, right? If, if our faith communities were able to engage, you know, what does it mean to like have a hopeful economic, you know, how do we operate in, you know, this business of hope, in a way that allows us right to structure it enough to, to let it make sense to the communities in which we're called to serve, to let it make sense to our mission, you know, so we're not just in the business of like the economics of paying our bills, right, but the economics of like dealing in hope. How does that look for us, you know? And so um, I think there's plenty that the, you know, faith communities can learn from business. There's plenty that business can learn from faith communities. And I think now more than ever, it's a time for us to really kind of like, you know, not thinking in this like false binary of like, oh, us and them, right? But that this is a a, a great opportunity, right? For us to like, you know, come together and learn together. Um, and what could actually result from that, I think is quite beautiful. Yeah, my thinking was very much along the lines of this reintegration that, that you're talking about, Piwa. And one of the legacies of uh, the ordination process is you, you you always hear a little echo of Greek or Latin <laughs> in the back of your mind. So economics, uh, and there are two parts to it. And I think we forget about one of them And this time is about, so echo, home, and nomos, which is the management part, accounts. So it's, it's really about homemaking. And we, we remember the management part. Uh, we separate out the money. Uh, and uh, But this is about homemaking. Economics is about homemaking. That's the hopeful part. And uh, so, you know, the way we look at economics, what, what good does it do us to, um, uh, you know, have a healthy gross national product if, uh, if we destroy our homes in the process or we destroy our communities by... Uh, um, uh, allowing some to have more access to the levers of uh, power than others. And, you know, I think in order to really do this integration, the home and the village that it takes uh, to really do hopeful economics, to do economics, <laughs> um, requires us to look at some things that have prevented that from happening, like white supremacy, uh, the need for anti-racism consciousness and action. Um, and um, I, you know, my hope as a person who loves the church and who has received a great, great gift from the church is that we can help the church kind of get more fully onto uh, these pieces as well. Um, we've been praying in our sanctuaries, I think, to a certain extent, uh, with a big oak door that's closed and wondering where the community is uh, when it's time to open that and go out uh, and remake that connection uh, because we're in need of homes. Like I, I was in conversation with the, um, uh, the uh, minister of uh, social welfare when we were looking at a national housing strategy. And I, my comment was, we don't just need houses, we need homes. And that requires a certain kind of community, a resilient, compassionate, just community. Um, people sitting inside four brick walls is, is not, uh, not what we need. Thank you um, for you guys' uh, yeah, for your, both for your comments initially. Um, I'm probably going to take it in uh, maybe a bit of a different direction. Uh, when, I, when I think of kind of a hopeful 
uh, economics, I very much thought of the economy. Um, so I was very, and, and I think a part of the reason why I went immediately to the economy is is because of, um, I mean, I'm, I'm First Nation, and so so that is partly because of the reason um, I think, and it's because uh, First Nations uh, or Indigenous participation in the, in the, I guess the broader economy has been hasn't really existed. Um, I think of a story I, I remember hearing growing up and also research or doing a bit of research about um, is when um, um, settlers kind of came to our territories. Uh, one of the things that they tried to teach us uh, or teach our communities was how to farm. And so our communities started taking up farming. And one of the things that they did when taking up farming is working together, working with one another, working with a neighboring community that was maybe a, a hundred kilometers from where they were, because that was kind of the, uh, that was how far they were. Mo most of them were spaced out. They were spaced out. They were spaced out for a particular reason. They couldn't necessarily mobilize against maybe the government or the state. And so, little bit of a history history lesson there but so on this notion of our participating in an economy and maybe participating in farming uh, first nations groups uh, very much uh, uh, started become became successful in their farming and because they were working together and because they were they were so successful um, other individual farmers who were in that region started complaining to um, uh, started complaining to the Department of maybe Indian Affairs, they were calling, and which eventually led to a policy change in the Indian Act that prevented First Nations communities from working with one another. And so, uh, yeah, this is kind of the perspective. Uh, uh, you know, as soon as I heard the word hopeful economics, um, I kind of went into a mindset of of hoping that one day First Nations uh, leaders, I guess, and, and communities would be able to fully participate in the economy. And um, and so I, I guess maybe more recently we have been. Um, I mean, the Canadian Council of Aboriginal Business was formed and uh, they, I think, started a, essentially created an initiative that would, <clears throat> that would um, essentially allow like, Indigenous um, created Indigenous procurement uh, targets for uh, federal governments to kind of uh, reach, I guess, and which eventually led to the Liberal Party adopting it in their platform uh, the previous election. And so, uh, yeah, and so that's that's kind of the, the perspective I'm, I'm coming from when I'm speaking of hopeful economics. Thank you, uh, both of you. You know, um, I actually think that's what you've just been saying really segues us nicely into, you know, this next question around, you know, what is it our um, organizations that we're a part of can do to kind of participate um, in, in, you know, hopeful economics. And um, I, I you brought, both of you brought up some like really essential points, especially you, Dallas, you know, that we have to confront the systems that have brought us to this moment, right? And it's not like, oh, back in the day, here's what we did. Like, 
what happened back then is still affecting us today, right? Like people are still not able to participate in economics, like in whatever way you want to define it. There are people who are still actively, right, being harmed by, you know, systems of white supremacy. Um, I can't think of any single institution um, on this land that is not affected by colonialism, white supremacy, whiteness, right? And in particular, this country um, in recent years, uh, it's kind of been brought to the mainstream, what many people have known all along. Um, and so, you know, how is it that we are actively choosing to participate in whatever institution we're part of, whether that's church, denomination, schools, healthcare, right? Fill in the blank. How do we get to participate, right? And in economics, it's not about the bottom line that benefits us some, but then it's at the cost of many. Um, but you know, what does this hopeful part of this economics, right, allow us to dream about new possibilities moving forward? You know, how can we do this in a way that says, one, we already have more than enough. We have what we need. You know, um, it, it, how do we, I guess, interact with these systems and like uh, 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 resources, whether they be natural or societal or economic resources in a way, right, that allows us to um, operate in a hopeful manner, right? And, you know, and, and I, I've struggled even with the word hope, right? Because I think sometimes hope is a setup. It sounds very cynical where, you know, oh, I really hope I get this job, right? And then here are these systems that are like, nah, you're not getting this job, right? So then hope has been, um, you know, a not really a helpful posture for me in, in, in many times in my life. But this, this to me, right, having these together speaks to like a deeper kind of hope, right? It's not about, you know, wishing upon a star that these things happen, that I want to happen, right? But I think it calls us into a deeper knowing of self and other and like everything that's around us, you know, that we are interconnected with each other as humans, as living beings, um, and not the inanimate things that we've created and have put value on, right? That ends up dehumanizing um, and, and diminishing life all, all around. So um, indeed, you know, I really do believe that, you know, our organizational participation is to look at the white supremacy in its eye and to denounce it and not just to denounce it, but to uh, unactivate it by hopefully creating other systems, you know, um, and not just, you know, cute little statuses as, you know, or hashtags that show people how woke I am. Um, when really, I think some woke folk probably need to take a nap and then maybe dream about what it really means, right? To like, get back in and do the work that is actually needed for us, you know. Running the risk of needing a nap, I'll uh, <laughs> jump in. Uh, yeah, totally. And for me, like when I think of the organizational role, <clears throat> there's both the, the external critique and action around helping our society generally make this shift, right? Uh, for, for me, as, as a white male in the United Church, there's also kind of the internal work. And... Um, helping our own organizations uh, be actively looking at the impact of being formed in a suprem white supremacist society and deconstructing that and understanding how, how we, as you said, people participate. And just a shout out to Layla Saad's uh, work, Me and White Supremacy, were uh, kind of, it's a very powerful piece of work if you want to pick it up. And like just the need to be consciously working on on that the the hopeful part so there's internal and external kind of resistance critique and action but hopeful part uh for us and uh for edges work uh in the church and with other partners is through reimagining through experimentation and partnership 
So uh, the partnership piece has been so important and thinking about unlikely partners, uh, churches working with not-for-profits and even for-profit organizations that want to make a, a broader impact or social impact. And, uh, you know, I think of um, uh, like a church in uh, Paris, Ontario uh, that uh, used their industrial kitchen to launch a, a, a gourmet soup um, uh, enterprise hiring people on ODSP that people needing certain kind of support and, and accommodations in their work. And now that that's starting to um, franchise and there are a number, a number of churches that are now doing, it's called raw carrot. Uh, if you're uh, interested in gourmet soup, I think I just did a commercial, um, but uh, yeah. So experimentation and, and partnership and, you know, for the church, part of that's giving up control like to, to really collaborate with others to get over this idea. Like church made a big mistake coming to North America, thinking they had it and needed to give it uh, to people that were already here um, and, uh, you know, leading to residential schools, but to partner together. And at EDGE, we like to say, God's up to something. Uh, let's all be curious together and be willing to jump in and um, be homemakers together. I like I like what you said, Rob. Um, yeah, just about very very much being conscious of of how we're kind of engaging with community and give yeah essentially giving up control. I think that's um, maybe a, before I go into go into this question. I think that's before I go into this question. I like if somebody would have said to me that five or 10 years ago that I, one day I'd be working for a church. Um, I probably would have laughed um, because I do not go to church. Um, I kind of have my own kind of culture, um, uh, have my own culture. And um, yeah, and that's the culture my ancestors have practiced for thousands of years, um, even pre-contact. And so, um, you know, before kind of starting this, this position, I had to really grapple with the very real history of residential schools and um, and what my role was going to be within a church, because I kind of envisioned that, yes, yes, during the height of residential schools, there was, I don't want to say an exact replication of a position like mine, but there may have been an office in Toronto or Ottawa that had people working in there and thought they knew what was best for people in my region. And so, <laughs> and so kind of on that note, kind of segues into, um, you know, answering this question on what I think my organization's role is. And I think my, you know, one of the, one of the ways um, I've kind of positioned myself was, is kind of supporting communities in their existing needs um, that they kind of highlight. I mean, you know, I'm a healing program coordinator. And so one of the things about our, our program is we're actually able to allow communities to decide how they want to heal. So the, the criteria and eligibility are specifically for First Nations, Métis, Inuit communities, but like in terms of how they want to heal, that's for them to decide. And I think um, as a a nonprofit national organization, we need to very much be conscious of, um, we need to be very much conscious of how we're engaging with actual community members 
an actual community, um, specifically because um, we cannot be kind of replicating um, what has happened in the past in terms of we know what's best. Someone in Toronto, someone in Ontario, someone in, um, you know, the urban settings know what's best for rural folks or know what's best for, you know, First Nations, Métis and Inuit folks. And so, um, yeah, I guess on that note, um, maybe the last kind of point I'll say is the role that I see kind of, you know, the broader United Church playing is really connecting community with opportunities. We have those relationships here at the United Church. There could be a philanthropist who's going to be watching. There could be an organization CEO uh, who's going to be watching that doesn't have those existing relationships. And uh, I I just feel like we're very much well positioned to um, help facilitate and also uh, essentially establish relationships between community and organizations. Y'all, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling super hype. Um, if this were a conference, we would totally go back around, you know, a few more rounds here. And there's plenty I want to say and ask and, you know, engage. But uh, since this is an unconference, we're going to stop talking here. And we want to bring you into the question, right? You know, so what is your role in this? You know, how do you um, individually in the communities that you uh, represent or participate in, um, how do you ask, you know, uh, engage that question of hopeful, hopeful economics, you know, what, what is your role? Um, so I'm eager to see how this, you know, plays out with y'all in these next few days. Um, so yeah, we're going to stop talking at that, you know, so what is your role in all of this? Thank you all. And um, can't wait to see how this unfolds. Thanks for listening to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service, and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. The Hopeful Economics Podcast is produced by Resonate Media. In the spirit of the unconference, we'd love to invite you into the conversation. Subscribe, review, and comment on our social media channels. A special thank you to those that partnered to make the Hopeful Economics possible. 1001 Worshiping Communities, Alterna, Buy Social, Faith and Finance, Metcalf Foundation, United Church of Christ, Rooted Good, Toronto Neighborhood Centers, Community Innovation Hub, and learn about Resonate Media at ResonateMediaPro.com. Thanks for listening and continue to share the blessings of health and wealth with everyone.